Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by BioTill Cover Crops. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. Today, I'd like to introduce Kevin Shelley, Farm Nutrient and Cover Crop Specialist with the University of Wisconsin Nutrient and Pest Management Program. Kevin will be discussing planting cover crops after corn silage for spring forage harvest. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, welcome. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm an outreach educator with the University of Wisconsin Nutrient and Pest Management Program, as you said. And our program works with uh, UW Extension offices, uh, land and water conservation departments, Votech schools, agribusinesses, and farmers directly on educational programming for managing soil fertility and and farm nutrients, uh, as well as uh, topics related to integrated pest management. And we have a water quality protection focus. And I've been doing that now for about 29 years. Great. So let's go ahead and jump right into some questions. Um, Talk a little bit about the challenges of planting cover crops in the fall. Well, um, two challenges. Uh, not surprisingly, our time and weather. So, you know, as we think about perhaps planting a cover crop after a full season crop, uh, we really start to get kind of narrow in, on our time in terms of what we can expect from a, a crop to establish and develop and get much growth. And so with fairly narrow windows, um, and everything a farmer has to do at that time of the of the year, uh, fall harvest, and uh, if we're talking about an overwintering cover crop in the spring with planting, it's just uh, sometimes a challenge to to work that in. And also weather. I mean, we're talking about planting a crop uh, kind of on the periphery of the growing season. And if the weather doesn't cooperate at that time of the year, uh, it can have a big impact on whether we're successful or not. So time and weather are probably the biggest ones. Okay. So what can growers do to set up fall planted cover crops for success as spring harvested forage? Is there anything they can do about some of those challenges? Yes, many things. So for example, if we're talking about planting a cover crop after corn silage harvest, corn silage is uh, harvested at a time of the year when there is still a little bit of growing season left. So that tends to be a, a good niche for cover crops. We're also you know, leaving very little crop residue after corn silage and we probably have manure applications. So, that's a good fit for uh, a cover crop and to ensure that we have adequate time to get that 
cover crop established. Um, we want to make sure that we uh, plan to harvest the crop timely. So uh, get it planted timely in the spring and maybe select a, a hybrid that has a maturity that enables that window to occur in the fall um, so that we can get something planted early enough for good development, good fall establishment, and perhaps overwinter cover uh, with a green and growing cover crop, or at least something that has adequate residue to really protect the, the, cover, the, the soil going through the winter. Um, also, it's important that we plan for uh, planting that cover crop in the fall by way of the herbicide selection that we, we have early in the, in the growing season for the primary crop that precedes the cover crop to make sure that the cover crop will grow, that those herbicides um, will enable that cover crop to grow. And if we are gonna harvest it as a, a forage, we need to really pay attention to the, the planting interval restrictions on the herbicide labels so that it allows us to harvest that cover crop as, as forage. Um, you know, we may only be 90 days uh, after a early post type of herbicide scenario uh, before we're planting that cover crop in the fall. So I uh, wanna make sure we're using herbicides appropriately. Of course. So what about, um, you mentioned using hybrids. What are some cover crop species that are best used um, that you'd be planting in the fall and then harvesting in the spring as forage? Right, well, most of my experience has been uh, with, with corn silage. I meant, as I mentioned, that seems to be a situation uh, where we have low residue going, low previous crop residue going into the, into the fall and over winter. And again, manure is often applied there. So we wanna really uh, have something growing to protect the soil and to, to hold the nutrients uh, in place. And so planted at that time of the year, the winter cereals are really best suited. They have the most ability to, to germinate and establish in the fall and uh, to deal with the relatively short day length that we have. And among the winter cereals, the best adapted are winter rye and or uh, winter triticale. They're, they grow a little bit more in the fall and early in the spring than winter wheat or winter barley. And the seed is usually available at a little bit more affordable cost for us to consider as a, as a cover crop or as an early season forage the following year. So uh, rye or triticale probably are the, the best choices there. Uh, and when we're talking about corn silage uh, coming off, um, you know, if we are planning to plant that cover crop afterwards that we, that we might want to use as a forage. Um, we're, we're suggesting choosing a corn hybrid that's probably about eight to 10 days 
relative maturity shorter than we might normally plant, uh, just to make sure that uh, we are able to get that cover crop in timely. And uh, there are, uh, there do tend to be some corn hybrid, uh, especially forage types out there with a little earlier maturity rating uh, that are competitive in terms of yield with uh, some of the later ones. And, uh, you know, Joe Lauer at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who runs the corn hybrid performance trials, rates uh, forage types and, and dual purpose types of corn hybrids uh, for both forage yield and forage quality and moisture. So it's important when choosing those hybrids to, you know, kind of look at all of those things and uh, balance them with the overall objective of having that, uh, that cover crop planted afterwards. You mentioned that winter rye and winter triticale are some of the best species. Are those spring harvested forages better when they're used as silage or when they're used for grazing or have you seen any differences? Yes, um, I do not have any experience with uh, grazing of rye or triticale after corn silage like that. I, I have read and, and heard people talk about it. I, I do think it's done. Uh, I think there's some uh, farms that have experience with fall grazing and then uh, letting it overwinter and it will generally redevelop in the spring for additional grazing or mechanical harvest. But um, I, I just don't personally have that experience. I, I tend to think that it's a little better adapted to uh, mechanical harvest in the spring, just given its relatively rapid development and trying to optimize the yield and quality that's really reached at, you know, kind of a one point in time. And, but, but again, I, I don't really have that grazing experience. Okay. That's fair. So if a grower is raising winter rye or triticale as a, a forage that would be harvested in the spring, do they need to be managed differently in the fall or over the winter? If we're talking about planning on the, the cover crop being an actual forage crop, we want to make sure that we have the proper seeding rate. So for rye or triticale, we're recommending about 100 pounds per acre of pure live seed. So factoring in the germination percentage of the seed that we have, about 100 uh, somewhere between uh, 90 and 110 pounds of pure live seed per acre if we're planning to use it as a forage. We can probably get by with about 60 pounds if we're only going to use that as a cover crop, maybe even a little bit less. And then uh, yield and forage quality are really optimized if we have about uh, 60 to 70 pounds of nitrogen available. So uh, that's why it's a good fit uh, along with the manure application. But uh, in some cases uh, where farmers have not had manure uh, for the particular case, they have applied some nitrogen fertilizer in the spring to really optimize that yield. Uh, probably a little bit more important to get the cover crop planted early, you know, if we really want to optimize that 
forage yield in the spring. But for the most part, the uh, conservation benefits and the forage production benefits are, are really, they go hand in hand. So if we're serious about establishing that overwinter cover for soil conservation, uh, water quality protection, minimizing nutrient runoff, uh, there again, you know, we want to be approach the, the cover crop management fairly seriously as well. So, you know, a little bit more emphasis on planting date and fertility for forage production, but um, those things are not unimportant for cover crop management either. Okay. So now those cover crops that will stay overwintering, what benefits do those overwintering cover crops provide to the grower? Well, a big one really is the soil and water benefits that can be obtained. And for example, there are a number of farms in Wisconsin who have adopted this practice over the years because it really uh, helps them meet the conservation planning uh, requirements or, or objectives, uh, both in terms of estimated soil loss and uh, phosphorus index. Um, when I've done scenarios and worked with farms at uh, various locations in the state, and we use the SNAP Plus nutrient management and conservation planning software, uh, if we include a cereal, a winter cereal cover, uh, either as cover or, or as planning for forage crop harvest in the spring, we can get about a 40% reduction in both the, uh, the Russell 2 estimated soil loss value and in the uh, also about a 40% reduction in the phosphorus index uh, value that we get. So in many cases, it, it makes a difference. It, it, it means uh, that a farmer can uh, meet the soil loss requirements or objectives and the, the phosphorus loss objectives as well, whereas uh, not having that cover crop, you know, maybe they're, they're not meeting those. It, it depends upon a lot of other factors in terms of the tillage and the crop rotation and the soil fertility and the, the specific site slope and, and field slope and things like that. But, but cover crops can make a big difference. And in, uh, of course, the, the factors that are used and the calculations made in these conservation planning tools are uh, research-based and uh, a little bit of, of research that has been done in the upper Midwest that looks at uh, those conservation benefits would, would be consistent. With, with that. And so, uh, you know, I always kind of start with, with the soil water conservation, but then the other benefits uh, are along the lines of forage production. And so uh, if we are planting timely, which in the Southern part of the state is probably going to be by about September 20th, uh, as we go North, uh, maybe one to uh, a week to 10 days or even two weeks sooner than that, uh, probably up in the, the Northeast around Shawano County, we, we want to be in the, probably in the first week of September uh, <clears throat> with uh, uh, a little bit of luck with favorable weather. 
in, in good fertility. Um, we can harvest uh, forage crop and, uh, you know, try to get that two ton of dry matter yield goal about the uh, uh, second or third week in, in May. So that kind of a, and then, and then that we still have a, enough season for a full season crop to be planted afterwards. So uh, kind of the double crop forage function is a, another big benefit of this practice. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. BioTill cover crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. And now back to the podcast. So talk a little bit about the benefits to harvesting cover crops for forage in the spring. Well, the benefits are, as I mentioned, the potential for double cropping uh, that year and and getting uh, some additional forage, some additional production from our land. And, uh, you know, just going back to those soil and water conservation benefits again. But uh, what we find is rye or triticale, uh, if we're able to harvest it, pretty close to that boot stage of growth, the stage of growth just before the seed head emerges from the stem, uh, we can get uh, pretty good forage quality, uh, relative forage value, you know, 130 to 150 or so uh, at a yield of about two ton of dry matter or somewhere between a a ton and a half to two and a half ton of dry matter. And uh, that, Forage is uh, tends to provide pretty good uh, quality adapted to uh, growing and post post breeding uh, dairy heifers. Uh, it has a good nutrient profile for growth. It has uh, it's relatively high in fiber, but very high in digestible fiber. So it tends to be something that uh, meets the nutritional needs of growing heifers without. Uh, the potential for over conditioning like high quality alfalfa silage or corn silage might. Um, it's also well suited to uh, dry beef cows, uh, beef cows in the kind of the gestation period after they uh, have been, their calves have been weaned and overwintering. We do have to worry a little bit about high potassium concentrations for uh, close up. Uh, heifers or, or cows of any type because of concerns for hypocalcemia. So uh, we do recommend uh, forage analysis with wet chemistry for minerals, just to make sure we know what the potassium content of that forage is, and then probably working with a nutritionist to uh, avoid, make sure we avoid problems those, along those lines. Um, probably withholding the uh, the, the rye or triticale uh, silage for most of that uh, 45 days prior to freshening. Um, but 
but yeah, uh, that that double crop forage production really seems to be, uh, you know, a, a big benefit there. Great. So talk a little bit about the financial returns when using cover crops for forage in the spring. The financial returns can be very favorable, but uh, we have to be honest, it, it does take management. Uh, at times, it can be a little on the marginal side. So, uh, and some of the costs associated with harvesting the rye or triticale forage, of course, um, uh, we have uh, the seed cost, planting cost, uh, the forage harvest cost probably is the, the biggest cost. And, you know, if we're only at a yield level of about one ton of dry matter per acre, um, it gets to be a little bit challenging there. Also, uh, we can at times see a slight yield reduction from the subsequent crop, uh, particularly if planting is delayed. Uh, and in many cases where we see corn planted again after the rye or triticale forage harvest, there can be as much as a 10 to maybe 15% yield reduction in that corn silage yield. Uh, and if we are able to get a pretty good uh, yield and quality from the, the rye or triticale forage, it usually more than makes up for that yield reduction. But if the, the cover crop forage yield is low, then the economics can be kind of marginal. Uh, it does depend a little bit on what kind of a value we're able to place on that cover crop forage. Uh, if it's a year when Forage inventories are low. It might be worth a little bit more to you than uh, in a year when we have plenty of corn silage or plenty of uh, hay silage available or hay available. Um, also, uh, depending upon what the forage quality is and how we can really utilize that forage, we do find that if we're able to harvest the, the rye or triticale in the boot stage, we can feed up to about a third of the, the forage portion of a, a milk cow ration as the rye or trit forage. And uh, while either maintaining milk production or maybe bumping it up a little bit and uh, uh, with the same kind of income over feed cost, that we would have uh, from the, uh, either haylage or alfalfa, uh, haylage or corn silage that we would replace with that rileage or triticale forage. So uh, economics can be favorable. We just, uh, uh, we have to, again, manage with a good planting timing of that cover crop. Again, uh, probably, not in October, or especially late in October, where we're going to really take a yield hit uh, the following spring in terms of the amount of forage that we harvest, and we, we might delay planting of the, the subsequent crop, which will result in a little bit of a, uh, you know, economic return reduction there as well. 
So good, good potential with good management and a little bit of luck in terms of the weather. Uh, and again, uh, just, you know, market uh, variability in terms of uh, forage value and, and things like that will, will factor in. But at times it can be a little bit marginal. Okay. So talk a little bit about if there are certain field conditions where it's recommended to use cover crops. Well, certainly some fields are going to be, you know, have a little better, uh, larger environmental vulnerability than others, um, more sloping fields, those that are in closer proximity to surface waters or have soils that are uh, more susceptible to leaching of nitrogen to groundwater. So those probably would be the priorities, but um, just about all fields have some susceptibility to loss of soil particles or uh, runoff of nutrients or, or nitrogen leaching, just about everything has some susceptibility. So um, really this practice is fairly widely adapted and suggested. Okay. So how does weather variability influence cover crop effectiveness? Well, as I've mentioned, um, we're doing this kind of on the periphery of the growing season, you know, at the very end and the very beginning of the, the main crop. So cooler weather uh, in the fall or, and or the spring will have a greater impact on cover crop growth. Um, and that's why it's fairly important that we get the rye or triticale planted in a timely fashion. And as I've mentioned, you know, probably early September in the northern part of Wisconsin and uh, the, th the third week, maybe the fourth week in the, in the south. And as we go south from there, that's, that's the kind of the best thing we can do to ensure success. And certainly, uh, you know, moisture, if we're exceedingly dry or exceedingly wet, that'll have an impact as well. So talk a little bit about how manure application as a fertilizer fits into a system where covers are planted in the fall and then harvested in spring as forage. Well, manure applications and cover crops totally go together. So the manure nutrients are going to feed the cover crops and help them to grow very well. And especially uh, a cereal uh, crop or a grass crop needs nitrogen. So the, the nitrogen will be important for that. And uh, the, the, you know, the manure nitrogen. And then the cover crop really helps to prevent any overwintering loss of those manure nutrients. Uh, it will uh, take up some of the nitrogen and uh, as well as phosphorus, potassium and hold those things in their biomass and uh, use it for uh, production of forage and then help to recycle some back uh, that's left in the crowns and the roots. It, the cover crops also help to prevent surface water uh, that has dissolved nutrients uh, from leaving the field. It, it, you know, the cover crops really uh, slow the, the water that would otherwise run off down, kind of hold it on the field, increase infiltration. And so it's really a symbiotic relationship between the the manure nutrients and the cover crop. Great. So our, our last question, 
Uh, does cover crop harvesting in the spring, would that possibly interfere with other windows of uh, activity that the grower needs to attend to, such as planting cash crops or maybe uh, taking off that first hay crop? Yes, it does. And we hear that from farmers that we work with and have done some focus group interviews with that, um, it, you know, it's that time factor in the spring. So uh, a lot of the farms try to get the uh, rye or triticale forage harvested before uh, first crop comes, even if it's not quite at the boot stage. Uh, if there's a weather window, uh, they're just going to go ahead and get it cut. And um, certainly, you know, the, the, it will compete with some planting of some of the later corn. Uh, if they have soybeans on the farm, that, that's going to be another uh, time demand. So uh, it does have, uh, you know, that is a factor, just that uh, limited time requirements to do everything that needs to get done in the spring. Um, makes it more difficult, but uh, increases the, the importance of planning. Just trying to plan ahead and making sure that you have all those requirements covered one way or another will help. Great. So where can our listeners go for more information? Well, they're welcome to contact me, Kevin Shelley, at the UW Nutrient and Pest Management Program. Uh, my email address is uh, kshelley at wisc.edu or on our website uh, we have a number of publications and instructional videos on cover crops as well as other uh, soil fertility and pest management topics uh, that web address is ipcm as an in integrated pest and crop management ipcm.wisc that's w-i-s-c dot edu and I invite you, uh, invite all your your uh, listeners to uh, check those out. Wonderful. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much, Kevin, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me. Once again, I want to thank BioTill for sponsoring this podcast. To learn more about BioTill, call 541-928-0102 today. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.